0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you teach us through it. And thank you for teaching us about the way back to you. And we ask that tonight you would give us ears to hear. We ask that by your spirit you would speak through me, that your people would be fed, and built up, We pray that you'd help us to see Jesus more clearly, uh, to love him and his work for us more deeply. And we just give you praise. We gather to you tonight, our Father, to lift up your name and say, uh, you are great and you are our God and we thank you and love you for saving us in Jesus. Amen. Let's read this chapter together. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover." This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash round him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering." He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover, then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered, into, uh, entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his ordinary garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh and intestines are to be burned. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then... Before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priest's and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Right. So, the, this part of God's Word uh, tonight is uh, of particular interest to anybody who is concerned with approaching God. Anybody who's concerned with having a relationship with God or drawing near to Him. If you quickly look back with me uh, in chapter 8, verse 9 to. uh, Sorry, chapter 8, verse 9. You will notice something. Just uh, keep that spot in your Bible. Um, Come back to me before I read it. one of the, uh, I guess, um, shocks about Leviticus is that, particularly I think for our uh, place in the world and our time in history, is that not anybody can approach the Lord. My hunch is that a common view today is that we would be more shocked, um, that we are more shocked that we might not be allowed to approach the Lord uh, than that a way to approach the Lord was made possible. I think our assumption is probably uh, more that uh, the Lord is blessed if we approach him rather than uh, that we be blessed uh, by being able to approach him. Um, And I think that comes as a bit of a shock in Leviticus. Um, And I think one of the things that it speaks to us, uh, uh, sorry, another way that it speaks to us, is that uh, because Leviticus teaches us, um, or at least taught the Israelites, uh, the right way to approach the Lord, uh, for us it's an instruction, because if that is our concern to... Um, to approach the Lord, to deal with Him, to relate to Him, it means that we are doing so on a good footing. We have a sure grounding to do it. Um, because I think another, if, if this kind of speaks to our culture in another way, uh, it's probably that um, we, if, 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 for example, our culture either, you know, this might be two ways that our culture sees it, that it would be, the Lord would be blessed if we would approach him, or that, you know, I could just talk to him if I like, and that's it, I'll just come and talk and have a relationship with God. Or that we might have some sort of superstitious um, mechanism for feeling as though uh, we have approached the Lord in the right way. Uh, It might be, I don't know, some, you know, pattern that we create for ourselves or some ritual that somebody else has given to us uh, or we've heard passed on from tradition or whatever it might be. Um, and so we come with a presumption that this way will be uh, a sufficient, that I'm approaching God um, and the way that I'm doing it is kind of, yeah, I'm sure, you know, the thinking is it must be fine. Um but the beauty of Leviticus 16 is that it teaches us God's way of approaching him. Um, and what that means is that we can have a lot of our confidence when we approach God his way, knowing that this is the way that he has given us uh, to do it. Um, whereas if we do it a different way, we don't have that confidence. So just look in chapter 8 verse 9, and this is just indicative of what's come before us. It says... Um, what I want to focus in on is this little phrase at the end as the Lord commanded Moses you see that in chapter 8 verse 9 then he placed the turban on Aaron's head and set the gold plate, the sacred emblem uh, on the front of it as the Lord commanded Moses and that if you've been listening into the previous sermons is a refrain that's repeated uh, right through these opening chapters of uh, Leviticus you see the same in verse 13 if you just glance your eye down there to the end of it um, as the Lord commanded Moses the same is in verse 17 uh, as he glanced a bit down further, as the Lord commanded Moses. So you can see there, and that, that's just indicative of right through those opening chapters, that Moses is acting just as the Lord had commanded him. And what it is here is it's worship, or it's an approach to God prescribed by God. And that's the really important thing. But then, in contrast to that, we have in chapter 10 if you remember the kind of movement of Leviticus, we had that shock of Nadab and Abihu. And so just have a look down, uh, flick over a couple of pages to chapter 10, and we see something quite different to the pattern up to this point. Uh, Read with me chapter 10, verse 1. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their senses, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorised fire before the Lord. And this is the key phrase, contrary to his command. And then in uh, verse 2, so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So there's a contrast there in uh, um, in approaching the Lord. What uh, The pattern, or what ought to be the case, is that the... Uh, priests do and worship the Lord as the Lord has prescribed. And we get that jolt with Nadab and Abihu as they do contrary to what the Lord commanded. And they come to, uh, the Lord's judgment breaks out on them and they come to a sudden death. Now, <clears throat> uh, what we have in chapter 16 is we ha- we've kind of, uh, the, the movement of Leviticus. After that Nadab and Abihu event, uh, the, the narrative pressed pause and then there's this big focus on clean and unclean food and uh, various bodily functions that were, uh, made people clean or unclean. And now in chapter 16, we've picked the narrative back up again and you can tell because of these opening verses in chapter 16. <clears throat> Note there what it says, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. You see that? In verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. You see there, that's what they were doing. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. You see, don't worship the Lord in the way not prescribed. Then in verse three, this and this is that this sets the context uh, for this day of atonement. Is in verse three here. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. This is worship prescribed, worship of the Lord prescribed by the Lord. <coughs> now <coughs> we're going to uh, look at this chapter in. Uh, Three little movements. And the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to set up um, the context. We've seen a little bit about the context there at the opening of uh, chapter 16, uh, that this Day of Atonement is is focused on an approach to the Lord. This is how uh, Aaron, the high priest, is to approach the Lord. Um, but if we step back a bit uh, a bit further, sorry, where are we 're going to go should have said where we're going to go we 're going to go context uh, and if you think of it as a um, the whole uh, uh, of chapter sixteen, what is happening in Chapter sixteen with this Day of atonement is it's like a little play it 's like a drama um, it gets played out every year um, and as we'll see, it's more than just a play. Uh, it's, a, it's illustrative of um, how, well, of a whole bunch of things, uh, but it teaches us how to approach God. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look, first of all, at how this drama of the Day of Atonement is connected to the past on the one hand. We're going to look at some of the details as a second thing. And then we're going to look at how the Day of Atonement um, Was pointing forward to the future, so they're the three little steps that we're going to take just now. Um, And yes, talking about this, uh, the first thing is the way that it's connected to the past. Um, uh, Important things to note in order to understand the day this day correctly uh, is that the tabernacle itself is modelled after; it's like a little miniature of the world. I explained this in the first, I think it was the first week, that um, the Holy... The Does everybody know what the tabernacle looks like? Hands up if you don't know what the tabernacle looks like. Brilliant. So, <laughs> um, so the Holy of Holies is the equivalent of the Garden of Eden. Um, or the Garden in Eden. And moving out, you have the garden itself. Uh, And moving out, you have the world. And moving out, you have the wilderness. Um, And what that means is that um, the movement of the priest into the Holy of Holies is a movement back to the Garden of Eden. That's what it's symbolising. And so the what you've got is like a little world within the world and there's a drama being played out every year of somebody making their way back into the garden. Which means as well that the priest himself, the high priest, is kind of like an Adam figure. He's the new Adam guy in the Holy of Holies and uh, what is uh, therefore happening... Um, is it's enacting or uh, reminding the Israelites of God's original creational purposes, of being um, with his people in his holy uh, special space. So that's just to say that this little Day of Atonement drama has got its roots in the past, and in particular in the shape and order of creation. Then the Day of Atonement, moving to the second point, uh, some of the details. So the focus um, of the Day of Atonement is about cleansing. And you can see that if you look in uh, verse 30. So it says here, uh, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. And you can see it also in verse 16. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place uh, because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. So the Day of Atonement, the big idea is making atonement, but I think the idea inside of atonement, specifically for the Day, for the day of Atonement, is this idea of cleansing. And interestingly, uh, it's not simply that the people themselves are being atoned, it's that everything's being atoned. So did you notice there in verse 16 how, um, uh, how the most holy place itself has atonement made for it? Uh, it's not just the case that we, as sinful people, need to be atoned for, but objects need to be atoned for so the most holy place or you can see in the summary at the end in verse 33 uh, it says and make atonement for the most holy place for the tent of meeting and the altar there that's three objects which themselves couldn't sin you see that it's not just for things that are capable of sinning and then for the priests and for the communities so that's the whole lot but the point there um is to show that atonement is is um, in this context is about cleansing, um, the whole uh, the whole worship the whole world of worship that they're in, and therefore what it's about is it's like resetting the clock. You see, if the whole picture that you've got in your head is this new little world, um, what's happening is. Every year, it's like the, the clock is being set back to its original clean creational order. Um, and so each year, the space is re-cleaned, the people are re-cleaned, the, the priest is re-cleaned, um, and kind of, yeah, it, it resets everything. Um, and so in a way there, it points to uh, a kind of cleansing of the universe, which what is what needs to happen, because this little mini, little, you know, playmobile set within the cosmos um, is not the cosmos itself being cleansed. It's like a little little parable, a little drama um, acting out. Um, Now, the interesting thing is that we've just come off the back of all this clean and unclean stuff, and what is a bit of a jolt for us is that people are actually the problem. So look in verse 16 again. Uh, it says, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place. Uh, and look why? Because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. So God is dwelling amongst the Israelites, but um, just as in the previous chapters, we've learned about uh, skin diseases and mould defiling the houses and defiling the people. Now it's as though the Israelites themselves, or we the people, are actually defiling God's house. Um, so there's a bit of a, sh- uh, a bit of a jolt there in that we are the dirty ones, and we are dirtying up everything, um, and so therefore uh, that kind of shifts the focus to the problem being on us. The Israelites are the ones who are creating the problem and making everything unclean and putting it in a place of danger. Um, now, at the centre of this, um, this kind of drama um, are these sacrifices and the taking in of the blood. As we've seen in earlier chapters, there's not um, anything especially new uh, with the sacrifices that the high priest um, uses. Um, it's typical that he would uh, sprinkle the blood um, for a sin offering, you've got different types of offerings. You see, he's got he's got two. He's got a sin offering and a burnt offering, and it's the sin offering which is the offering where um, you use the blood and you sprinkle it on things uh, because it's the pure the the pure life of the blood uh, cleanses things, and that's why he goes and he cleanses the altar and he cleanses in behind uh, the curtain and he cleanses uh, the tent of meeting itself. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of. Uh, fairly standard for what a sin offering would be. But the unique part about the Day of Atonement is, if you if you spotted, was the, um, the goat that he um, confesses all the sins onto the head and then sends it off into the wilderness. You see, the scapegoat. Um, and here you have this scapegoat, I think, gives us another, uh, gives us a window into understanding um, what the nature of the punishment for our sin or, um, or the consequence for our sins is. And it's a picture that runs uh, through Scripture um, and finally re- um, climaxes in, uh, in the final judgment. And that is that sin is a combination of uh, punishment slash destruction and banishment. And that thread you can see running through as um, Adam sins, he's, and he is both punished in that life is harder for him now, and he physically dies, uh, but he's also sent out of the garden. You see the same thing in when uh, the Israelites, when they sin, they are both, you know, they break the covenant. They are both punished for their sins uh, in that um, uh, judgment suffering comes upon them, But they are also booted out of God's space and and have to go and live in uh, Babylon. And likewise, when we get to uh, the final day, different images that come up in the New Testament will be that you will be, uh, Jesus, for example, will speak of people being sent out and they will be, you know, um, chopped to pieces. This is punishment or this is judgment or destruction. Uh, But also like 1 Thessalonians, where people will be sent away from the presence of the Lord into Uh, everlasting darkness that's just to like a quick biblical theology of the consequences of sin and here in uh, leviticus with this goat having the sins bearing the sins and then being sent off into the wilderness um uh is one aspect of the sacrifices taking uh, as it were on themselves um the consequences for the sins of the Israelites, and one of them is off into the wilderness. Uh, but So at the point there at the centre is that atonement is made, it's made by these animals through sacrifice um, and their blood being shed and their blood cleansing things, this blameless blood cleansing everything, cleansing them, cleansing their, their space, and the other goat bearing the sins. And so those two aspects of um, the consequences of sin are dealt with which cleanses the people, um, which um, rescues them from the realm of, uh, from danger, uh, from death. Um, uh, and so that is the, um, that's the event, that's the day. So this, and this will happen day after, oh, sorry, year after year. This is the day, and this, um, as, Moses, as the Lord commands, is the way to approach me. Now, That's the second point. So it's rooted in the past, this this drama. The drama itself is focused on the idea of atoning. uh, And the atonement needs to come because of the the uncleanness of the people. And that atonement is um, made through the sacrifices and the scapegoat. Now, what that does, that's the drama itself. But just as we come to a close... um, We'll think about how that points forward, how that whole drama plays out, and points forward to the work of Jesus and anticipates his coming. And we'll just see a couple of little contrasts, which will help us to both understand Jesus's uh, work better um, and to uh, see uh, understand them ourselves better, but also appreciate how they are much better. And uh, Hebrews is the book to go to. So if you flip over to Hebrews we'll just look at uh, a few quick points um, of uh, things that the author of Hebrews brings out as he focuses on this day himself Um, so what they are is first of all um, that this um, uh, this whole system because it was annual because it was an annual thing the atonement that was achieved and the and therefore the access back to God. Sorry, I'll wait for everybody to get to Hebrews. Are you there? Anybody got a page? Chapter nine, if you can get to chat if you can have chapter nine open, that is the way forward. We are there, one two oh six. Good. Happy? Okay. Um so, the first thing is that because this thing was every year, you see, this, this, this drama that was played out, this Day of Atonement, because it was every year, it showed that um, uh, what was achieved at that time was only temporal. It wasn't something that lasted because it needed to be repeated. The people kept um, uh, defiling the, the tabernacle and the altar and all the space and themselves. Um, and so it needed to be repeated. It was temporal, which meant that it pointed forward to the idea The idea is that therefore it can't be the final solution. It's rooted in the past, but this is not the final solution. And we see that in chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Uh, so in chapter 9 of Hebrews, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed. And look what it says in verse 8. So this is the clue, the inspired author of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. You see that? That's such a helpful uh, thing that we have given to us to help understand what's going on in, um, uh, in Leviticus. So it was temporal and, and it says in Hebrews that the Holy Spirit was showing by that that the way into the most holy place had not yet been made known, hadn't been disclosed yet, um, which is different uh, to Jesus himself who enters in and check out what Jesus does when he goes in. Look over in verse 10. So the priest goes in annually, but look what Jesus does. It says uh, in chapter 10, verse uh, 12, but when this priest, that is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God. So he went in and he sat down. You see that? Normally the priest goes in and out and that way you can see as an Adam figure, he's not back into the garden yet. But Jesus himself goes in and he stays in. And not only, uh, and then the second thing is, he doesn't just go in to an earthly tabernacle, he goes into the reality. So look uh, in chapter uh, 8 verse 5. This is to help us understand the tabernacle itself. Uh, chapter 8, verse 5. They, that is the priests, uh, the Jewish priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. So the, 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 the tabernacle that was in Israel uh, was the shadow and the reality was heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And in 9 verse 11, uh, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. 9 verse 24, where is it? For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. So he he enters once, he sits down, he doesn't enter the copy, he enters the reality. uh, And then what he does is he achieves a much better salvation because he achieves an internal work, Uh, and he achieves a complete work. So the internal-external contrast you see in chapter 9, verse 9, it says, This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices were being being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. See, they're not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Um, Whereas Christ... Um, verse four, uh, chapter 9 verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Um, Jesus goes in to the new, uh, sorry, to the reality, into heaven itself. He goes in with his own blood, not the blood of animals. He sits down when he's in there Uh, And he waits from that time, uh, having made a perfect sacrifice till his enemies uh, made his footstool. And therefore the conclusion is, for us, or for Hebrews, uh, look at uh, verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19. This is kind of where he's moving in the letter of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, right? that's the space of God, this is drawing near in a new way, Uh, By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And that's what I was talking about at the beginning of approaching God, and I hope that this is what it can do for us, is approaching God not in a superstitious way or not in a way that we kind of think to ourselves, this might be the right way to approach God. Uh, When we approach God through Jesus, we are approaching God through the way that God has prescribed and the author of Hebrews picking up on this, um, what we're learning in Leviticus Uh, applies it to us and says to us draw near uh, with uh, sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings because you're drawing near through Jesus and you're not drawing near in the tabernacle in the shadow you're drawing near into the reality for Christ's perfect blood with a perfect sacrifice uh, where he sat down and he's completely atoned for all of your sins He's made a perfect atonement for your sins. And in the remarkable way, and this is the final thing I'll say tonight, is that you know how before I was saying how um, what what it's like is it's like the high priest is kind of resetting the clock for the little mini um, Israel and uh, the tabernacle as like a mini universe. Jesus... uh, he kind of, he enters heaven, right? So presumably, he's making atonement for uh, creation. And so what he's doing is he's not just setting the clock within Israel in what they call like a typological way. Jesus is the reality who's bringing God's creational purposes uh, to their climax. He is... He is. Um, He's cleansing the, the universe, as it were. He's entered heaven, and the defilement uh, from Adam at the beginning has been cleansed by Jesus, uh, which is now the new creation. And so, um, as believers, we are. Um, our hope is to be a part of that new creation. Jesus is in heaven. Uh, he's the priest that's sat down, he's cleansed God's space, uh, he's cleansed us and he's made a way for us to draw near to God, back to God, back into the garden, and we wait for the new creation, which is just uh, from chapter 10, a little bit further down. So the next thing it says in, um, in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And check this out. And all the more as you see that the day approaching. You see that Jesus has entered into the new into heaven into the new creation, and so believers are now. the The call is draw near, full assurance, and. Keep going as Christians as you are waiting for the day when we see that work of Christ who has cleansed the cosmos uh, become the reality where we live in uh, the city of God, uh, the new Eden, um, in God's space, everything cleansed uh, forever. The end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this word. Um, Help us as we are wrestling with and tackling large things. Thank you for Jesus, uh, for his sacrifice, uh, for his way and his work uh, into heaven, uh, bringing us back to you. Please help us to have um, full assurance uh, in faith as we trust in Jesus and to wait for that day Uh, to be in the new creation uh, where you make all things right. In Jesus' name, amen.